The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. He went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and curing every disease and illness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Where did the Bible come from? God. It wouldn't be nice if that was all of the homily today. But alas, there's a little bit more to the story, thankfully. We know that the scriptures that are given to us, the word of God that we read each Sunday, the word of God that we hear spoken to us throughout the course of the week, the word of God which I pray we spend time with, throughout the course of our days in prayer and reflection, is the Word of God speaking to us. Is the voice of God. It's the Lord God who, in some mysterious way, working through human authors, has a Word which speaks continuously to us. A Word which isn't just something caught in the past, but each time we hear it, can indeed be the voice of Christ speaking to us here and now. It's unique in that regard. And so the scriptures are something that are very important for us as a Christian people, as a people who wrestle with God, as a people who struggle to hear the voice of the Lord, and we desire to hear the voice of the Lord. How many times have we gone to the chapel to pray and maybe wrestling with the Lord in our own prayer elsewhere, And just waiting and longing to hear God say something. And yet he already has. And he's waiting for us to listen. The scriptures. The scriptures are an important thing for us to reflect upon. And especially to know where they come from. Because in knowing where they come from it helps us to appreciate the the meaning behind it all. And even more so the fact that we can trust them. That it's not just a nice story composed to tell something to make people feel good, but rather it's a historical reality of Christ our God who has come among us. And so, to get into some of the details a bit, 
of where the scriptures themselves actually came from and how they came to be where we are today. Unfortunately, it's not such an easy case that they just fell out the sky after the death and resurrection of Jesus and Peter picked it up and he was like, ah, the rule book, excellent. Now we know what to do. If only it was that easy. But it was a process by which the people of God had to try to understand what is the voice of God speaking to us and does it speak through this particular text? And it's that reflection that happened over a course of thousands of years. The first piece of the scriptures that, are, that we understand as being physically written down and composed happened around 800 years before the life of Christ. Now, the Old Testament scriptures are being composed, the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on. It doesn't mean that they were just fashioned at that point. Remember that the Jewish people were a culture that told stories. There were people who sat around the fire in a sense each night and sat around the, ta- the table with their family and recounted the things that God had done for them in generation from generation. And so the stories of the people of God had been passed down for hundreds of years already. Moses himself was probably around the 1200s. So for some 400 years, the word which Moses stoked, the stories that he told of him going on the mountain and all these sorts of things had been passed down from one generation to the next. But around the 800s, scholarship today indicates, uh, it was actually written down. At that point, there was uh, still a continuing record of other, other documents that were composed. We know that in the Old Testament, there are a whole variety of literary genres. Most of us, I pray, don't read the comics with the same tone of seriousness that we read the front page of the newspaper. Although, regrettably, sometimes they seem to be the same. There's this recognition that when we read things, we understand a little bit of what their purpose is. And so we read them in a different light. And so the Old Testament is composed of all sorts of different uh, genres of reading. Some to get at the, uh, a greater understanding of, of humanity working with God, wrestling with the Lord. Some are meant to be actual literal historical fact. Some are meant to be simply poetic prose like the book of Psalms, which is a, a, a hymn to our God over and over again. A variety of things that we hear, and the scriptures all composed for a certain purpose. But all of it was divinely inspired and came through the course of time. The Old Testament, of course, was uh, composed of some 46 books, as we know it today. But it wasn't something that was so cut and dry for the Jewish people through the course of their days. In fact, it wasn't until after the death of Jesus that the people of the Jewish nations began to look into question which books do we consider, in our terminology, to be divinely inspired. It was after Jesus came that they asked the question. Because before, they simply had scrolls. And the thing was, a scroll was a difficult thing to copy. And so some communities had some scrolls and some didn't. Some would have, they had the majority of the same ones, but there was a a few differences here and there that they wouldn't all have the exact same thing. So they would copy it, pass it on, this one will copy and pass back, and so forth. And so there was this understanding that through the majority of these scrolls, these texts, God was active, and God was speaking to his people. But again, 
They simply tried to follow the best they could in discerning what was God's voice speaking to them. And so, they went along. The last of the books of the Old Testament was composed within uh, probably about 100 years of the life of Christ. And so for some 700 years, it took to compose all of the scriptures for the Old Testament as we understand it today. But again, they weren't set. When the Lord came, of course we know his, his life, he comes in and he changes things up a bit. And he brings this new covenant as we hear. This new testament, literally. This new reality of an invitation to relate to our God. And so it's in the wake of Jesus having come among us. A few years after that, some years around 70 AD, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was torn down. And it was at that point that the Jewish people said, we really need to figure out which of these books are God's word for us. As they wrote, they had different communities who were praying about that question, and they came up with two different answers. And that's an important thing for us, because it has major implications further down the line. But the Jewish people, they came up, there was two separate ideas of which books were inspired by God. And so they went forth. In the early Christian days, the New Testament began to be composed. But the writers of the New Testament didn't set out to write a New Testament. It's not as if they're like, all right, well, we got the Old Testament set, less time to get working on the new one. Rather, they simply wrote as they felt inspired by God. St. Paul writing today to the Romans, he's writing because of a particular need of the community. He saw that there was division among them and he wanted to respond to it. So too, in each of the letters that the, that the writers write, those of Paul or Peter or John or Jude, each of them is for some particular purpose, to write to a community, to focus on some aspect or aspects of the Christian faith, to help them understand what it means to be Christian. And so they were composed simply as a way of communicating and building up the Christian community in certain areas. Those first letters, especially written by St. Paul, were written around the year 45 AD. That's, give or take, 12 or 13 years after the death of Christ. And so, they come relatively soon after his life. Rather than the, 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 the Old Testament, which took hundreds of years, the New Testament, from start to finish, was composed within a year, within a range of about 55 years. The last book of the New Testament, as we understand it today, was composed before the year 100. And so, it's a nice way of thinking about it. It's within, a, within 75 years of the death of Christ, the last of the scriptures is composed. I know there are more than a couple of people in our community who are over 75 years of age. And it's a reminder to us that the word of God is to be trusted because it is written so closely to the life of Christ. Indeed, some of the people who were receiving letters very well could have been ones who had seen Jesus themselves, who had heard his voice with their own ears, seen him with their own eyes. And if they had heard something in the scriptures that was not good and holy, that was not true, they could have responded. Rather, it was confirmed they were true. The Gospels weren't originally, the, the, the Gospels, again, they weren't the first books of the New Testament composed. The letters of St. Paul and the other letters were. 
That's because the Christians in their, in their first days, whenever, they, whenever the Lord ascended into heaven and he said, I will return in my glory, they thought he meant he was coming back pretty soon. There was a looking for an imminent return, as in like two weeks from now, <laughs> the Lord's coming back and we need to be ready. And so they went with reckless abandon to follow the Lord, to do crazy things, expecting the Lord to come back very, very soon. And yet, as he didn't come back, as the delay continued to persist, they struggled with the question of how do we respond now? I mean, they had, they had gone out and they had begun to, to evangelize as quickly as possible because that was their thought of Jesus coming back. We want to get as many people through the pearly gates as possible. So we're going to go and spread the word of God like wildfire. And we're going to teach in, in churches and in synagogues, you know, come hell or high water, persecution, sufferings, whatever. We need to say this word. And so they went out. But after a decade or so of that taking place, they realized that the Lord's imminent return wasn't exactly so imminent. And so they said, it's important for us to write down the things that we've understood so that the next generation can have them in the same purity. And so they begin to compose the Gospels. St. Matthew composing Matthew. St. Luke composing the Gospel of St. Luke. So mainly the writing of, um, of St. Uh, Paul his preaching, as well as some other sources. St. Mark, composing from the, uh, from the preaching of St. Peter, according to tradition, and St. John coming last, uh, being John the Apostle, kind of wrapping it up with a nice bow on top. And so the four Gospels come into play. Now we have all of these scriptures floating around, these letters, these Gospels. Just like the Jewish community, there wasn't a set, a set list that everybody followed initially. And so, one community would get a letter, and they'd pass it on to another community, and they'd pass it on to another community, and they would share back and forth with each other. And as a gospel would be, would be reprinted, or, or recopied rather, they would pass it off to a neighboring community that they might be able to have the word of God and the gospel as well. And so this continued through the course of the years. By about the 150s, uh, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were understood as the four Gospels, as the main message of Jesus, the main Gospel uh, that's inspired by God. But it wasn't until the mid-300s that the church began to look at the question, much like the Jews had, of which of these letters, which of these Gospels, which of these writings are the Word of God, and which are just good things. Which of them is the divine Word which is human eloquence, as St. Paul says today. And so they began a process of prayer and discernment. The bishops of the church from throughout the world gathered together in multiple, multiple meetings and brought their lists and brought their scrolls with them to say, these are the things that we have. These are the scrolls that we have. Here's what we understand about them. Here's where they came from. Here's how we got them. And so forth. And they began a discussion but even more so a prayer, asking the Lord to reveal to them which ones were Him. And as they did so, they ultimately came to an agreement and understanding of what we have as the New Testament today came to be formed at that time, again, the mid-300s. 1,200 years later, the church set it in stone. <laughs> we're a little slow to move on some things sometimes, huh? But again, it's only when the system starts to be questioned sometimes that we have to clarify things. 
It's only when Christ came and the experience of the Jewish faith began to be wrestled with in a different way that the Jewish people felt it important for them to look at which of their letters, which of their scriptures were inspired word of God. And such happened in our Catholic faith as well. The Protestant revolt of the 1500s with Martin Luther came and began to question some of the, uh, the authority of the scriptures. The Catholic Church had to get together and to respond once more. And they responded by confirming what had been 1,200 years of firm conviction of the church throughout the universal church. That the 73 books that they had composed in the Old and New Testament total were in fact the inspired word of God. From that point forward, everything is pretty much the same. The only thing that's changed is every, every so often we get a new translation of it to kind of update our contemporary language, updated from the, uh, the Greek or the Latin from which it was composed. But ultimately it's to remember uh, and to go back and to look at a couple of things that still have great importance for us today. One of which is a challenge that's often, that's often mentioned as if the Catholics have done something wrong. And it's phrased as this, usually from non-Catholic people, why did Catholics add books to the Bible? Has anybody ever heard that question? Why did you Catholics add books to the Bible? I was challenged with that question myself by, by one of my good friends who then quoted a passage from Revelation that said, if you add or subtract from this book, you're going to hell, essentially. And I was like, well, we should probably discuss this then, because... I don't want to go to hell, you know? And so began reflecting on that question, and ultimately the answer is that we draw our sources from two different pieces of information. Remember that when the Jewish people were reflecting on which was the inspired word of God and which was not, how they came to two different solutions, they came to a separate solution of seven books in difference. There were seven books that the Jews of the of the time of Christ, did not believe were inspired by God, but rather they may be good for human teaching. And so they set them aside. And whenever the Protestant revolt came forth, there was the, the questioning of looking at the authority of the scriptures. And so they went back and by an unfortunate bit of misinformation, they thought that the shorter book of, of the Old Testament was in fact the true one. And so they adopted the Old Testament of the shorter form that the Jews chose in one particular community and went with that, taking out seven books effectively from the tradition of what we had understood as, as Catholic faithful. And so rather than adding books, there were actually books in a sense removed because of their understanding of the authority spoken by the Jewish people in the early times of the Christian, the Christian ways. Another thing is important for us because it comes up every year, usually at Christmas and Easter. I don't know if y'all ever noticed, but there, those two times a year where almost inevitably a new gospel gets found. And this new gospel, which the church has never heard of, says some revealing things about this Jesus fellow who's the foundation of the Christian faith. And every year, right around those two most important times, they let us know that our entire scriptures really are just a lie because Jesus was a married man or Jesus had multiple wives or the 12 apostles were actually his lovers 
That's another fun one to go hear about. And that all the scriptures that we have are not the inspired word of God. They're twists to try to cover up and to make Jesus sound like a nice fellow. Of course, these are all lies. And the interesting thing is that the world seizes on these things as if Christianity has never heard of these books before. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of this, that, or the other person. The letter of so-and-so. And the church just smiles and goes, yeah, that's cute. We knew about that 1,800 years ago, and we knew it was a lie then, so we set it aside. It wasn't worth using, because it was a lie. And so, they let it die. There's nothing new under the sun. If there's ever a new gospel that's found, rest assured, it was never lost. We just knew it wasn't the word of God. If there's ever a new letter that shakes the world, it's not new. Because we've had them from the start. From the first days, the Catholic Church has understood and heard the word of God, discerned the word of God, and been able to look to hear the voice of the Lord. But what is it that Jesus Christ taught the disciples? And to go forth and to bring that forth into the world. A lot of times as Catholics we feel scared of the scriptures for some reason. Because our Protestant brothers know the Bible better than we do usually. At least we think so. But rather it's to reflect and to realize that the book is an eminently Catholic book. It's rooted in the Catholic faith. It's ours and we ought to claim it rightly so. And to rejoice in it. And to read it. And so that's my encouragement to each and to all of you. Is to go home and to pick up your Bible and spend some time with it. Again, how often do we desire to hear the word of God? And now what we have to do is take a few moments to listen. If you struggle with understanding the word of God, there are ways to help with that. We've got Bible studies in the parish. There are several resources we've got. We've got online programs that are available at your fingertips, all for free. To help us to hear the voice of God. Because that's the entire purpose. If the Lord gives us the Bible, but never, if we never open it, we've missed something. St. Jerome, one of the great translators of the scriptures in the early church, he said, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Strong statement. And yet an invitation for us to hear the word of God. And so let us go home today and to spend some time with the Lord. To read his word. To let our hearts be lifted up to him. To hear just like the disciples who have gone before us, those Christian communities of the early days and the Jewish people of many centuries past. To hear Christ come to speak to us, to you, not just as a crowd, but as a person, and to rejoice in the gift of the scriptures that God has given to us.